We will be continuing in Mark 13. We're going to close out Mark 13 today. We'll finish in the chapter. We'll be in Mark 13, verses 28 to 37. We'll take a look at this passage here in just a minute. And in this section, we're going to see that we need to be alert and serving God with vigilance. We're going to see that God wants us to be alert and faithfully serving. And this causes us to ask the question, well, how? How can we be alert and faithfully serving? Well, we can do this in two ways. And we're going to see this here in Mark 13, verses 28 to 37. Now, in this section of verses, Mark concludes the, his account of the Olivet Discourse with Jesus giving two parables to the disciples. Matthew includes uh, three other parables, uh, along at least with one of these, and, um, and Matthew presents another, the, the second parable that we see here in a little bit different form, but it's very similar. But, but Matthew 25 includes three other parables as he closes out the, the Olivet Discourse. Um, in Matthew 25, we have the, the parables of the bridesmaids, the talents, and the sheep and the goats. But here we have the parable of the fig tree and the parable of the absent homeowner. And that's what we're going to look at today and kind of see what Christ has for us in, through these parables. So let's begin in Mark 13, beginning in verse 28. Now Christ is still speaking. He says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its, branches has, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also know, so you also, when you see these things happening, know that this is near, at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So in verses 28 to 31, we see that we need to be aware of events. To be aware of events. Now this first parable that Jesus gives concerns a fig tree. Now while uh, the fig tree is often used to symbolize Israel, as, it, as the, the one, the withered fig tree did in chapter 11, verse 12, that doesn't seem to be the case here. It's just a fig tree. Luke's account helps clarify this because in his account, in chapter 20, 21, verse 29, he includes the words, and all trees. This is when you uh, think of the fig tree or all trees. So we're not... So the fig tree doesn't have any special symbolism here. It is just being presented as a tree, and a tree that would commonly lose its leaves during winter. Jesus uses the fig tree for its commonality and the simple known truth. Summer is coming when the leaves begin, when the tree begins to leaf out. We've certainly been seeing that around here in the last week. Because unlike many of the trees in the region of Israel, the fig tree loses its leaves. It's a, it's a deciduous tree. Most of the trees in the area aren't. But this 
tree loses its leaves in winter and gains new leaves late in spring, signifying summer is coming. It's a very obvious sign to the people. It's a, it's a sign of the seasons changing. And verse 29 here applies the truth of the fig tree and the constant of the changing seasons to the events that Jesus was describing. Okay, so he's simply saying, just like when you see a fig tree in late spring begin to leaf out, you know summer is coming. So these events that I have just been talking about, when you see these events happening, you know the end is near and, and that it's practically on the door. It's on the doorstep, ready to come. Verse 30, Jesus promises that the generation will not pass away. That, they, that this generation will not end or go out of existence until these events have occurred. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But, there, but Jesus gives a promise that a generation will not pass away until those events have occurred. And then verse 31, he gives a promise. He promises to all that this promise and the foretold, what he has given in foretelling here, these previous verses, he now promises, he gives a divine promise of their fulfillment. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, these words concerning what I've just been talking about, will not pass away. So what are we to gain from this? What are we to understand here? Well, verse 29, like I said, applies the truth of the fig tree and the changing of the seasons to the events that Jesus was just describing. Primarily, I think, his second coming. Because that is where it comes in, right at the tail end, when he's talking about uh, how you will know when the, when the Son of Man is coming, near the, at the very end of the tribulation. Now, there is some a disagreement here because the subject of the verb, the verb is, there is no subject um, specifically defined in the language. So the event that is near may refer to the Lord himself, his second coming, verse 26, or to the abomination of desolation from verse 14. Some translations say when you see or will say it is near, others will say he is near. And they're taking two different understandings of what the verb should be and what it's referring to. Either way, it is to within the event, either of the end is coming rapidly or the Lord is coming. Either way, it is points to the sign of the end of the age as, and the, these evidences are as evident as a fig tree leafing out in spring. But the, in verse 30, what is this generation? What is meant by this generation? Well, does this refer to church-age believers? Does it refer to the disciples and those alive in the first century? Or does it refer to the generation that will be alive during the tribulation at the end of the age. While it may be possible that there is a, some dual meaning here that the generation that saw the destruction of Jerusalem, as well as the generation that will see the tribulation, I believe that the primary meaning here refers to the generation that will see the tribulation. 
Why? Well, the tribulation lasts for seven years. It is extremely plausible that the generation of people, or another way we can take the word generation can refer to a specific stock. So it could be the generate the stock of the Jews will not pass entirely out of existence until the, but we'll see the end of the tribulation. So there's a little bit of two ways to do that. The generation that will be alive when the tribulation starts, even though there will be many who perish during that time, it's seven years. They, the whole generation will still walk through it. Or it may be referring to the, to put it this way, the stock, the family of Israel will survive the tribulation. Verse 31 tells us that all of the current creation has a time of ending. Heaven and earth will pass away. And though the, the present universe will pass away in a cataclysmic event, 2 Peter 3, 7 and, and 10 verses, and verses 10 through 13, briefly describe that. While this present universe will pass away in cataclysmic event, Jesus' words and the promises concerning the end of the age will not pass away. A strong negative is used here in the Greek to emphasize the certainty of the promise. My words will by no means pass away. They will certainly not pass away. While this world, this age, is temporary, the words of Jesus are eternal and have an eternal validity. They will be eternally valid. Why? Because what is true of God's words, Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8, and Isaiah 55, verse 11, is true of Jesus' words because Jesus is God. So in Isaiah 40, when he says, my, excuse me, Isaiah 55, when my word shall not return void, Jesus' words will not return void because they are still the words of God. So, does this mean that we as believers in the church age need to be concerned about these signs? No. A proper understanding of end-time events, however, is good information for us to have, as it will add to and can aid in our witness and sharing of the gospel. It is good for us to have this information. But as Warren Wearsby put it, as Christian believers today, we are not looking for signs of his coming. We are looking for him. We're not looking for signs of his coming. We're looking for him to come. He says a little later in the same passage, we as believers do not depend on signs. We depend on his unchanging word, the sure word of prophecy, 2 Peter 1, 19-21. We don't depend on signs. We depend on the sure word of prophecy, 
that God has given us. So we need to be aware of future events, but we shouldn't be stuck on trying to read the signs of the time, but focus on the tasks of the great commands and the great commission. In the 1987 NCAA Regional Finals, LSU was leading Indiana by eight points. And with only a few minutes left in the game, and as often is the case with team in the lead, LSU began playing a different ball game. The television announcer pointed out that LSU players were beginning to watch the clock rather than wholeheartedly play the game. As a result, in the shift in focus, Indiana closed the gap, won the game by one point, and eventually went on and became NCAA champions. While Jesus called us to be aware of the signs of the times, he clearly called us to expend our energies in faithful, active service. As we await Jesus' promised return, we are not so much to watch the clock as to be diligent servants during the time we have available. So we need to be aware of future events, but we shouldn't be stuck trying to read these signs of the times. But we need to focus on our tasks of the Great Commands and the Great Commission. Now, following this parable of the fig tree, Jesus gives a parable to admonish the disciples in the next section, picking up in verse 32. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the, mo or in the morning. Well, that sounds familiar. Maybe evening, maybe noon. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So verses 32 to verse, and th through 37, we see that we need to continue our task to continue our task. So Jesus begins here by telling the disciples that only the Father knows the day and hour of the end of the age and the coming of the Lord. He tells them to be on guard or keep watch. This is the fourth use of that word in this chapter. We saw it in verse 5, verse 9, and in verse 23. It's translated, take heed, be watchful, be on guard. It has this idea of vigilantly watching, being on guard. 
Some translations add the command to pray in verse 33 that we have here in, in the New King James. Some don't. Um, the reason for the command to stay alert and to be on guard is because we don't know when the Lord is coming. And I wanted to touch just briefly. Verse 32, it says, For this day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. This is not a... This does not deny the deity of Christ, but we need to un but likely what is being implied here is in the humiliation and in the self-restraint of certain attributes while he was incarnate on the on the earth, some of this information was not his. I believe he knows now the day and the hour. But during his incarnation on the planet, this was part of the limitation that he experienced. That doesn't deny his de deity. That doesn't deny any of the other events or anything. But I believe he knows now that day and hour. That's kind of one of what we have here in verse 32 and 33. Verses 34 to 37 contain a parable that in some ways is very unique to Mark. Um, as I said, Matthew doesn't really have it. He, Matthew has a, a set of parables that's very similar to this one, but not identical. And, I don't, and then from what I was seeing, Luke didn't have a, a version of this at all. But he has a... We have a, a parable here that Jesus uses to give an example to the disciples. The story tells of a man going on a journey, and he leaves his servants in charge of the daily operation of the house and gives them specific tax, tasks that need to be done. Included is the explicit command to the doorkeeper who allowed access to the entire house to stay awake and to remain alert. Jesus stays in the imagery of the parable and begins to admonish the disciples in verse 35. The command of the doorkeeper becomes the command to the disciples, stay awake. Jesus then expl explains the command. Because they did not know when the master of the house, Jesus, would return, they needed to stay awake, stay alert. To emphasize the point, Jesus uses the Roman 12-hour night, 12 night watch that is broken into four sections. And Mark uses it, I think, versus the, the Jewish system for his Gentile readers that would have been more familiar with the Roman system. But this is what we, we are given here in Mark, is the 12-hour night watch of the Romans. It's broken into four sections that are three-hour long. And they're identified by the ending of the time. It may be evening, which runs anywhere from 6 p.m. to around 9 p.m. Maybe at midnight, which runs from about 9 to 12, or at 9 to midnight. When the rooster crows, this can be, which would be around 3, so anywhere from 12 to 3. And then, or maybe morning, anywhere from 
3 a.m. to 6. And then day, and then day starts around 6. Okay, so he emphasizes, and but we see it, it's the times of the night. It's the night watch that he uses, not the day watch. The reasoning ends in verse 36 with a warning that the master of the house would appear suddenly and find them sleeping. You need to be alert. You need to be watching lest the master appear suddenly and catches you sleeping. However, the admonition is applied not only to the apostles and the disciples of the first century, but to all believers in verse 37. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. So what do we gain from here? This, the admonition and the parable are about remaining vigilant, completing the tasks given by the Lord before his coming. Some apply this part of the passage to the future tribulation believers as well, while others apply this part to the disciples or believers today. I currently understand what this section is being for believers today, but I can understand the reasoning of applying it to uh, the tribulation believers. But as we look here, Jesus applies the role of the master of the house to himself, and assigns the role of the servants without distinguishing between doorkeeper and the other servants, but applies the role of the servants to the disciples. The warning of keeping watch during the night applies to being vigilant and busy with the tasks Jesus, has, Jesus gave the disciples. Part of the vigilance was to be watchful of spiritual dangers, false messiahs, and opportunities to witness. Verses 5 through 13 that we touched on a couple of weeks ago. During his 1960 presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy often used speeches, in, closed his speeches with the story of Colonel Davenport, the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives. The story goes like this. One day in 1789, the sky of Hartford darkened ominously, and some of the rep representatives, glancing out the windows, feared the end was at hand. Quelling a clamor for immediate adjournment, Davenport rose and said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles be brought. Rather than fearing what is to come, we are to be faithful till Christ returns. Instead of fearing the dark, we are to be lights as we watch and wait. This responsibility of such vigilance was not just for the twelve, but for the believers of the whole present age, and certainly of church-age believers. In light of the certainty and imminence of Jesus' return, we must stay awake and keep at work, being spiritually productive. 
the warning of Jesus, Jesus coming suddenly and finding some sleeping, being spiritually negligent, is not about being left behind. Christ is faithful to bring all the church to heaven, not just the worthy, not just the profitable. True disciples, true believers will go to heaven, will be with Christ because of his grace, not our faithfulness or our works. Christ himself gave the exhortation for this section. Stay awake. Watch. As servants of Christ, we have been given tasks. Be watchful. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourself. Make disciples. Baptize them and teach. Let's be at the tasks. So in these verses, we see that we need to be alert and serving with vigilance. God wants us to be alert, faithfully serving, and we can do this in these two ways, by being aware of events and continuing in our task. So as we close, have we become distracted from the work that the Lord has given us. Remind ourselves of the great commands and the great commission. Mark 12, 29 to 31, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Have we become distracted? Those are our marching orders. Let's get back to work. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the reminders that we have in, these, in this passage, in these parables that kind of summarize much of what the previous sections were talking about. We thank you for these reminders. And Father, we pray that as we continue, we will, we will continue to seek to do these uh, tasks that you have given us faithfully, vigilantly. Help us to find ways that we can continue to not only grow as disciples, but to continue to be obedient disciples. That we are first and foremost are loving you with all of ourself. 
but also expressing um, expressing that love, showing the love of Christ to our neighbors, those within our family, those next door to us, those that we work with. And part of the way we express that love is by sharing the gospel. Help us to continue to find ways to make disciples, teaching your words, teaching your commands, calling them to salvation. Help us to remain faithful in these ways. We pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.